case you may not have heard, these are exciting days at Renolda. And I think the most important thing for us to know at this time in our church life is the kind of God we have. That's what I want to do this morning, try to describe the kind of God that we worship. Micah, the prophet, helps me. He wrote 700 years before Jesus, and it was just before Israel went into captivity, a very perilous time. And Micah said, but as for me, I will not despair. I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. <clears throat> and he not only said the Lord was a light, but he said the Lord was a warm light. Listen to how he describes it. Who is a God? Excuse me just a minute. <clears throat> Dick, you may have to tote that water over here before I get through. Bring it over. It's right there. I'll have it here. You see, the devil does not want me to preach this. I'm sure of that. Now you think that's silly, don't you? I didn't have a bit of trouble till I started to, started to preach. Micah is describing this light, and he says, Who is a God like thee who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread on our iniquities underfoot. Yes, thou, O Lord, will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob. Do you remember Jacob was a deceiver? He deceived his brother out of his birthright. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham. Abraham loved his wife, but he tried to sell her down the river when his own life was in jeopardy. So we have the kind of God that gives this kind of power to man. About a hundred years later, Nahum was writing even in more dire circumstances, and he said, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. Slow to anger and great in power. And then do you remember how Paul described his conversion in Acts 22? He said, I saw a light, I heard a voice, and I fell down. He was blinded by the glory of God. And he went in Damascus, and he stayed there three days, and it wasn't hearing the voice, it wasn't seeing the light, it wasn't falling to the ground. But you know what he said it was? He said he encountered the grace of God, the miracle of God's grace. And today, I want you to see what happens when we really get hold of that. And it's not just hearing God and seeing a light and falling down. 
That's not the important thing. But what is important is what God does in us. And look what he did to the Macedonians when that happened to them. Open your Bible to the 8th chapter of 2 Corinthians where Paul writes about that. And he says, now brethren, this is chapter 8 verse 1 of 2 Corinthians. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to the churches and the Christians of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality, their giving. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. That's what happens to you when the miracle of grace really comes in. It's not that you just see something you never saw before. It's not that you just hear something you never heard before. One person praying for David Smith in Toronto, Canada, put his fingers on his eyes, said, you're going to see things you've never seen before. Put his finger on his ears, you're going to hear things you never heard before. Fingers on his mouth, you're going to speak things you never spoke before. And guess what? She was right. But the most important thing is not what you see or hear or speak, but what's in your heart and how it changes your life and makes you a vessel of grace. And that's what happened to these people. So it says, they gave according to their ability, beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Can you imagine that? Oh, please let us give so that the gospel can be preached. And this not as we'd expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. You know how they did that? One of them was Aristarchus of Thessalonica. And he was with Paul on his last journey to Rome. And you see, Paul was under arrest. And he couldn't take anybody with him unless he had a slave. And if he had a slave, he could take that slave with him. So Aristarchus had to become, give up his freedom, give up all his possessions, give up his home, give up his family, give it all up. Because that's what you did when you were a slave and it was forever. And he did that to go with Paul. Another one of them was Epaphroditus from Philippi. He visited Paul in prison. He fell ill and Paul said, for the sake of the work of Christ, he was near to death. He worked himself near to death for the cause of Christ. You see, the Macedonians believers gave like that. And that's the reason in chapter 8, verse 2, it says that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy 
and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. You see, most folks think you get joy when you get more. But the Bible teaches you get joy when you give more. And then something excited happened. We call it the miracle of grace. Because Paul says they not only gave themselves to the Lord, <clears throat> but to us by the will of God. As the psalmist did, he said, What shall I render to the Lord for all his bounty to me? For all things come from thee, and of thine own have we given thee. You see, the real joy, the real excitement comes when you find out that you're actually a divine vessel. God is using you. That'll give you a thrill that nothing else will. One of the most dramatic instances of this was in the life of John G. Letourneau. I don't know if you know much about him, but he was a poor man who had a big dream. And he was also a man who took the word of God seriously. And he read the verse in Malachi that says, <clears throat> bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you down a blessing. And so right away, he gave a tenth of what he had. And he said he was going to make God his partner. Let me read you what he said. <clears throat> I decided to give to God and test God on fulfilling my dream. Now, he didn't give for money, but he gave, that God, gave so that God would fulfill his dream of building this big road equipment. Goes on to say, I had a dream of building gigantic road building machines, but no idea how to do it. I told God I was serving him and tithing like he said. I was enjoying it, but I wanted him to keep his word and open the windows of heaven. I want him to show me, he said, how to build those machines. And he relates how God did it. And the first year after he entered this partnership with God, his company made a million dollars profit in one year. And he figured up the tithe of that. You know what a tithe of a million is? It's $100,000. He said, my, <laughs> that's a lot to give. Some of his advisors in his company said, now, now, John, that's just too much. Why don't you give part of it and then take part of it and invest it back in the business? And John G. Letourneau listened to them and he invested it back in the business. And the next year, disaster followed. It rained so much that those big machines got mired down in the mud. And at the end of that year, his company had made zero and lost, guess how much they lost? $100,000. <laughs> and then John Letourneau said, God started talking to him and said, uh, John, why couldn't you trust me with $100,000? Why did you believe that was too much to give? Do you think you're smarter? 
<laughs> than I am. Do you think you can use that money better than I can? So he called the leaders of his company together and he said, gentlemen, take $100,000 and give it to the Lord. And they said, John, if we do that, it'll bankrupt this company. He said, well, since you said that, take another 100000 200000 and give it to the Lord. <laughs> they were disturbed. He was at peace. He went home that night and he slept. And while he slept, God showed him how to build those road building machines so they wouldn't bog down in the mud. Showed him how to make them so they could run in bad weather. And the R.G. Laterno Company became one of the most prosperous firms in American history. And then the miracle of grace happened to him. He began to see what God could do, not only with $100,000, but what God could do with a man who was yielded to him. Let me read you what he said. <laughs> this is almost unbelievable. Well, I quit giving God 10% and increased it to 20%. <laughs> and I prospered so much, I increased it to 30%. And I began living off of the 70%. I went to 50% and began living off of the other 50%. You may not believe this, but it's true. I document. He said, then I found out that I couldn't outgive God. And so I gave God 90% and lived off for 10. And he did that until he died. Does that sound familiar? You just heard about it with the Macedonians. <laughs> it said they gave out of their joy and poverty and then they gave even more. And they begged to give more. That's the miracle. That's what happens. Now, beloved, we've seen some miracles here in the church. We've seen many, including your pastors, overcome by the love of God in the last little while. Some people have been on the floor. But that's not the important thing. The important thing is not where they are. The important thing is what happens to them when God's love and his power comes on. We are seeing in this church that we can actually get more of God than we can handle. <laughs> we can't handle all of it. You see, it happened to the Apostle Paul when he was converted. He was on that Damascus road. He saw the light. He was prostrate. And you know what the important thing about that is? The important thing is when this sinful, self-centered, materialistic, selfish nature is transformed. And when we start acting like the Macedonians, giving according to our ability, but beyond our ability. Do you know any folks like that? These folks didn't get up in the morning and say, well, God, how much are you going to bless me today? They got up and said, God, how much can we bless you today? 
You know, in the shortest book of the Bible, there's a little verse that I think is misunderstood by a lot of people. And the verse goes like this. It's written by John about 50 years after Jesus. And it reads, Beloved, I pray in all respects you may prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. Now, scholars tell us that's not such a big deal. That was probably just a word of greeting to a man named Gaius. Well, I don't know about that, but I know who Gaius was. It seems that Paul had commissioned certain traveling missionaries to go out all over the area and solidify these new Asian churches that had just been formed. And Gaius was one of those that showed hospitality to these traveling missionaries. And you see, these teachers were like the Macedonians. In fact, it says about them, they went out for the sake of the name, <laughs> accepting nothing from the Gentiles. I love that. They went out for the sake of the name. When I was in Toronto recently, I got blessed by a number of things, but I guess the thing that blessed me about as much as anything was the message the first night I was there. And it wasn't by the senior pastor, it was by the youth pastor. Now you talk about laid back. <laughs> he was one of the most humble and undynamic speakers I ever saw. His daddy is a big lumber man in Canada, has a big lumber business. And he had it all set for his son to follow him in the lumber business and was very disappointed when his son didn't. But his son decided to go out for the sake of the name. He could have been set for life if he had gone with his father. But he decided to go out for the sake of the name. And as he spoke, God was speaking. I hope he's speaking right now. And you know what he said? <laughs> Never forget it. He said, God, we didn't marry you for your money. We didn't marry you for your money. Beloved, this is what we need. This is the miracle we need. When the Holy Spirit falls on us, the thing we need is for people who haven't married God for his money that give out of what they have and go forward and beg to give more. Years ago, a seminary professor wrote an article criticizing Billy Graham. <laughs> he said Billy Graham's message is naive. He wants to take the church back to the beginning of the 20th century. One of my friends read that article and he said, you know something? He's wrong. Billy Graham doesn't want to take the church back to the beginning of the 20th century. He wants to take the church back to the first century. And that's where we ought to be, where those Macedonians are. And the miracle of God that comes into us 
begins to unleash us so that we will give according to our ability and beyond it. Beloved, one of the greatest things that has happened to Renolda since I've been here is that you've become generous. God's worked his generosity in you. I would not have believed that you would give like you're giving. Not only your tithes and your offerings, but each year <clears throat> you give beyond that. And every year I think, well, it's certainly not going to come in. <laughs> My, I'm great uh, man of faith and power, <laughs> but it always does. And David Beatty said that this year that more of you are going out on short-term mission trips than ever before. Even our kids are doing it. Now, all aren't supposed to go, but I believe all can give according to their ability and beyond their ability. And in the faith promise, let me tell you what that is. You're not asked to give more. You're asked to participate in a miracle. It's not supposed to come from your salary. It's not supposed to come from your living expenses. You're supposed to ask God by faith to bring you extra money. And if he doesn't bring you extra money, then you don't owe it. But it's an opportunity to get into the miracle business and see what God can do. And Paul writes about that kind of giving to Timothy. And he said, it is received with gratitude for it is sanctified by the means of the word and prayer. It is sanctified giving. It's holy giving. And you get blessed twice. You know how you get blessed? First of all, you pray for God to give it to you. Have you ever had that kind of faith to pray for God to give you some extra money? And then second of all, once you get it, you don't keep it. <laughs> and you give it. And that's hard. Both those things are hard if you haven't had the miracle of grace. If you don't know the power of grace. But if you do, you know you can not only pray for it, but then when it comes, you will overcome this tendency toward greed and you'll give it. And do you realize God gets an advantage? Do you realize God gets more? Because out of your tithe, that's limited by what you make. You're just going to give God 10% of that. That's all he gets. But my, <laughs> when you ask him for more money and he knows you'll give it, then he can bring thousands and millions of dollars into his work. So he gets far more. And you become a channel Paul David Cho, his pastor in Korea, soul of the largest church in the world. And when it was being built in 1973, the dollar was devalued. And because of that, the Korean currency called the won suffered and Korea entered into a deep depression. And then on top of that, the oil crisis hit. And there was a tremendous inflation. People lost their jobs. Church income just nosedived. They had signed contracts with builders. 
And the building cost went up astronomically and they faced financial collapse. And Dr. Cho was just devastated. He said, if it hadn't been for my people, I wouldn't have made it. And some of his faithful began going to the church site. And he finally got convinced that's what he ought to do. So he went to the church site and they began to pray over that site. And they began to pray that God would provide. They realized that only a miraculous intervention would build that church. And one evening, after they had prayed, an elderly lady got up and walked to the front. And she had some items in her hand. There was a bowl and chopsticks. And she said, Pastor, I want to give these so that you can sell them for a few pennies and build the church. And Pastor Cho looked at her and he said, Madam, I can't take what is essential to you for this. She said, Pastor, I'm an old woman. These are the only things I possess in the world. But Jesus has blessed me and he has saved me. And I want to give these to Jesus. You see, Pastor, I can put my rice on old newspapers. And I can eat it with my hands. And I want to give these to Jesus. Pastor Cho writes that the Holy Spirit fell on that place. People began to pray in the Spirit. People began to weep all over that place. And then a rich businessman stood up in the back of the throng and he said, Pastor Cho, I want to buy that bowl and those chopsticks for $1,000. And one by one, people began to give according to their ability and beyond their ability. And today, on that site, stands the largest church in the world. That's what happens <laughs> when you get the miracle of grace. That's what happens. Pastor Robinson said today, if you want that miracle, you come and get ministered to. Don't you miss out because God has wonderful stuff for you.